Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of my interview with Reverend Tom Gibbons, where we're picking up right where we left off in uh, part one. If you haven't heard part one, you might want to check that out before diving in here. Uh, in this episode, some of my questions about God's intentions lead us into discussing what role politics plays in the church, and we also get into the overall decline in church attendance across America, and Reverend Gibbons' uh, current role in the Presbyterian community and his thoughts on megachurches, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy it. So, so like I said, I I'm far from a pious person, <laughs> as you've probably gathered. I feel like I live at least the basic teachings, not not necessarily intentionally, not cognizant or not I'm living a Christly life, even though I'm not a Christian. I just I, I from what I took away from church, I feel like I'm I'm at least staying on the road. Maybe I'm like a drunk driver weaving and bobbing a little bit in the lanes, but I'm on the road still. Um but like I said, I've not invested a lot of belief in God and Christ. Do you think if I die and go to heaven, do you think God, how do you think God judges that? Do you think he, he says, oh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't believe in me. Yeah, you did. You, you look pretty all right. Like, how do you think that works in the, I know you said you're agnostic in the afterlife, but how does that, what are your beliefs on that? How does that play out? Well, I believe that God is caring, forgiving, and altogether righteous. Meaning? Meaning that God knows the ways of the heart. So if he knows, you know what, he, he, he was, his heart was in the right place, his heart did the right thing, intellectually he got there, maybe not necessarily the right way. Yeah, you know, yeah. The whole issue of what one believes um, is kind of a disturbing one, really. Um, it's as if it's propositional. Propositional stuff drives me crazy. How so? Well, here's my proposition. Boom, 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 and boom. Okay, is there any space in there for me if I've got doubts about boom and boom? No, not really. It's a proposition. Faith is not a propositional thing. It's relational. That's the, the Do you get the difference? Um, relational stuff is not about belief. Mm -hmm. It's about your heart. So it's, it's more, like you said, what's in your heart versus the, the intellectualization of, Correct. of it? Correct. Okay. You know, that's... That's propositional. I can argue philosophy all day long. Yeah, and and that's, philo that's and that's philosophy not... is is where I checked out in <laughs> in college, and then it got too abstract. And that's probably an issue I had with religion in general. Not you know your teachings or, or the church is me as a person. Whenever stuff gets too abstract, be it mathematics, be it philosophy, be it political science, when we got to political philosophy, when stuff tends to get too abstract, I, I fancy myself not a dumb person, but my brain just doesn't go to the abstracts very well. It doesn't... I, I need tan, tangential ideas to play around with. Um, and that's probably one reason I did kind of check out of the church is it, it got... And that's not a criticism, it's just who I am. It got to a a place I couldn't put my hands on. I couldn't I couldn't the the like the the big thing with me in is the Trinity. God, the Father, the, the you look You're good. Uh, Father, Son, Son, the Holy, Holy Ghost, thank you. Yeah, there we go. And it was they're all the same, but they're different, but they're the same. I'm like, I nope, I can't my rational brain can't, couldn't get there. And so that's, that starts to be like, well, why do I believe this if I can't even understand it? You're type not thing. alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
You're not alone. Do, do you have this kind of... When I moved to Austin, we're making this more about me than almost any of my podcasts are, but I like talking this out with you because yeah. you make me think. Um, when I moved to Austin, I was dating a girl who had me going to the Universalist Unitarian Church for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with them a bit. And one of the things I liked about church was I liked the community aspect, bringing people together. Um, I've been to, I've dated people or been friends with people. I've gone to other churches. I've gone to Pentecostal churches. Those are weird. You don't have to react. Not reacting. <laughs> um, the jumping up, the, the, the non-denominational, um, one of the things I've realized, which is weird about me given I feel like I'm a pretty progressive person, is when it comes to church, I want a pretty old school experience when I'm in a church. I want to go to church. I want the, I want the, the choir, maybe some musical instruments. I don't want an electric guitar. I don't like, I don't like a progressive I like progressive teachings. I don't like the progressive worship service. It's a very big turnoff for me, and I've, I'll try to tell you why that is. But, and it's also probably something that I, again, took away from St. Barnabas, which is a pretty traditional, you've got the choir, you've got the hymns, you sing a couple hymns, you talk about, oh, Martha's sick, let's send her our prayers, you've got your sermon, you, you got communion, blah, 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 blah versus the newer school church where you've got the guy playing the acoustic guitar and you've got the PowerPoint and you've got the people waving their hands in the air. All of that turns me off instinctively. I, I can't do it. So one of the things I liked about the Unitarian Church is it felt very St. Barnabas, very Presbyterian, very... It was St. Barnabas, it was, it was St. Barnabas Presbyterian Church without the God. It was really interesting. Um <laughs> And it's not that they were anti-God, but it was a Jewish, Muslim, atheist, whoever. It was it was all of that without the God and Jesus, um, which I found oddly comforting to a degree. What was interesting about the Unitarian Church, and again, it made me think about St. Barnabas, is they were... One of the reasons I ultimately stopped going is they were outwardly political and I know a lot of churches can be I never recalled St. Barnabas being outwardly political one way or the other I understand all churches at least unspoken have political aspects to that but they were very much a oh immigration is the thing and they would really dig into it oh homosexuality and gay marriage Trump all and they would dig into it outwardly Right. That turns me on. I don't feel like church is the place for or should be the place for that. Versus I go to St. Barnabas, and maybe you did this and I don't remember it, but I don't remember you ever really taking a political position outwardly like that. That's it, interesting. That's good. It, it, am, um, am I remembering that right? Is that something you kind of did avoid? I don't know. There have been people at St. Barnabas who have been all over me because I... Am too political. Really? Now, I will say now on Facebook, because uh, you and I have stayed in loose touch yes. on Facebook and we see the stuff we post, um, you have taken a lot more political voice there. And, and I, your, politi- your politics seem to be kind of what I always assumed they would be, but they were never a, a f- I don't ever remember them being a facet of your time as a pastor in the church. Well, I appreciate that because that's what I've tried to do. Um, But I think it kind of leaks out. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I do feel strongly that that the church is not a place for that in a sense. Let me share with you a a thing I did, um, which was probably one of the most difficult uh, preaching moments I have ever had, was after um, Donald Trump won the election, the Sunday after that. Were you still with... You were still with St. Barnabas? Still, okay. I was still there. Um, and I, you know, it was just profoundly difficult. Um, and one of the things that, that I decided to do was I put um, index cards in all the bulletins 
And then in the middle of the sermon, after I'd said, you know, there were people in this country who have felt disenfranchised for whatever reason, uh, that they have not been heard, they haven't gotten direction. And then I talked about, you know, the progressives um, feeling, you know, completely deflated and, and as if they have run into the same, the same sort, of, sort of problem. Um, and I, then I asked everyone, I said, okay, I want you to take that index card and I want you to do two things. The first thing is um, I want you to write down why is it you voted for the person you did. Second thing is... Um, what is what is it you would like to see happen through that person? And I take it you you stress don't tell me who you voted for. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't say anything about that. Mm-hmm. I said, then what I'd like you to do is find a person in this congregation who voted the other way, and I want you to sit down with that person and share those two things. And I don't want you to talk over them. I don't want you to argue. I just want you to sit and listen to them explain why they did that. And it, it was really hard, hard to do. Did, um, how, what do you think the, the take rate on that was? Well, uh, only, only from the people who decided to give feedback about right. it. Um, I don't know. I maybe thirty percent of the people did it. Do you think having somebody like Trump in office almost forces the church to take a side, be yes. more political? Yes, I do. Does it? Was Jesus political? Right. Uh, yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what got him onto a cross. Are you kidding? Yeah. didn't have anything to do with the religious authorities. It had to do with politics. Yeah. So, you know, that's... Did you... You said that you've gotten at least a couple accusations of your politics blending into the church. Did that Was that more of a reaction to Trump, or were you having those kind of criticisms even before that? I was having those criticisms before that. Yeah. It got worse after the election. But I, I don't know how you can stay silent. I mean, um, everything that I stand for as a, as a religious man, um, as a man of faith, you know, Trump, I, I, <laughs> he just defies the imagination. And, and that's, why, um, that's why it's unbelievably puzzling. Yeah. Uh, to to see evangelical Christians of various various evangelical Christians, because by no means is it all right um, flying to his banner. I'm not going to lie; there might have been mind-altering substances when I had this thought. Full disclosure to you, Tom. But one of the thoughts I've I've again, I, as an agnostic, I kind of go back on a well, if then type thought process when it comes to God and religion and and everything. And part of me, our church was not big on revelations and the rapture and all of those two. It's just not something we really, I, f- I remember loosely talking about it once in con- in confirmation, but it wasn't, you're not going up on Sundays talking about hellfire and brimstone and all right. of that. Um, but what little I do understand of revelations and all of that, the rapture, the end times, blah, 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 blah is it's it's a a judgment day it's a god jesus comes down and you're either saved or you're not you either took the lessons or you didn't and i and i'm speaking in very vague broad terms right but part of me thinks well if there is a god would trump not be the ultimate test for that the kind of the the test before the grades come in of i gave you this te- I, i've given you this beautiful planet You've polluted, you've drilled, you've treated it like shit. I then gave you this real easy test of the least Christian guy I could find. And you guys flocked to him like moss to a flame. 
have you learned nothing? Have you taken away nothing from my book, my teachings, Jesus's sacrifice? I almost feel like if there was a test for the rapture, he would be it. I, I, I know I'm butchering the religious <laughs> text, but it's, it's baffling to me how, kind of like you said, he really is antithetical. To, and that's probably why I have such a, and you do, Tim, many of, many of us have such a strong reaction to them, is it flies into the face flies in the face of so much of what we were taught in our morality and our ethics. Exactly. Um, That's got to make your, I don't want to call I'm going to call it a job. I know it's a lot more than a job to you, but that's got to make your job really hard knowing I've spent my entire life teaching and educating and bringing people into this uh, theology only to then know that 30, 40, 60% of your congregation kind of spit in the face of everything you taught. How does that, how do you emotionally and rationally, how do you, how do you deal with that rebuke almost? I, that's interesting. Um, that's a great observation, actually, Chris. Really, really good observation. I don't really feel that way. I don't. I don't feel as if you know I've, everything I've done isn't somehow in vain, right? Or and that uh, the that narcissist in have, me would take it as a well, well darn. You know, <laughs> I take it personally because that's where I go. But how do you not internalize that? I, you know, I think I've stopped short of it. I, um, as I said, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm completely befuddled as to why that would be. On the other hand, I know human nature pretty well, and, and having been in the church, I know that the church is loaded with people who are, um, um, well, who are sinners, for lack of a better word. I mean, all of us. Um, but many people who are not self-reflective. And if they were in the least bit self-reflective, they'd be able to see um, what's supposed to be happening here. But they're really not. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I I have many different, uh, oh, it's a good way to phrase this. I have lots of deficiencies. But I, I don't think that's one of them. Um, it's just, do you know the old phrase, blood is thicker than water? Yeah. Do you know what that means? I, I, Contextually, yes, but I couldn't uh, explain it. Okay, all right. It basically means that that uh, family ties. Right. Um, what's the water? Nothing. Blood, that is kinship, mm -hmm. relationships, and water, baptism, the oh. church. I've never tied that saying to religion before. Yeah. Well, it's true um, in many, many places um, for many people and families. You know, the kinship ties what, what is required of you as a person who is, I'll just use the Graves family mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, that's more important. Than, than any of these other other ties, which, um, you know, quite frankly, the Christian faith is one that says it has, if there is an exclusive nature to it, the exclusive nature to it is the community nature of it, which says, yeah, you may have to supplant those family ties. You may have to supplant other ties, to be able to say, this is the genuine community. This is a community which I have chosen to belong, or which God has chosen me to belong to, however you put it that way. Yeah. And I have nothing in common with any of these people. In fact, I like some of them, and I really think they're a bunch of assholes <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, what is, so...
let me let me jot a note because I want to come back to something there. Um, so, did did Trump's election make? First off, did it have anything to do with your retiring, or was that coming no, either way? That was coming in. Okay, you know that had nothing to do with. What it. made you want to retire? Oh, well. Um, I just knew it was time, I guess. I mean, I, I retired at age 68. I mean, it, a little bit later than, than some people. Um, I'd been at the same church for a long time. I thought there was good leadership in place at, um, as I was leaving, and that proved to be true. If there was bad leadership, would you have tried to stick it out longer until it got into place? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of Christian shepherd mentality? Yeah, it is. It is. I take that very seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been extraordinarily blessed um, by the associates I've had. So that, you know, it's been good to... Um, it's been good to be able to say, yeah, e any of those people could have, could have uh, done a really good job of leading the congregation. When you're retiring, what kind of... You're not giving your church two-week notice like I am at a job. Like, how does... How does retiring from a church work? I mean, I guess you could just go, you know what, this is my last Sunday, I'll see you later, good luck, Godspeed. But if you're doing it the right way, you're doing it the way you did it, how, how does that... Is it a year-long process? Is it six well, months? Uh, yeah, let, let me... There's a recommended process uh, that the Presbytery has, and I ignored it completely. <laughs> um, and, because it's stupid. It really is foolish. Um, there is an assumption uh, that somehow a congregation who's been served by a pastor is is somehow broken or messed up. You know, they they've messed it up some way. So that's why we have interim pastors who come in and you know help the congregation work through uh, what they're doing, so that they can have a good congregation for the next person who steps in after about a year and a half. Well, you know. Frankly, how would that work in business? How would that work in academic capacities? You go a year and a half without someone who is, who is the senior pastor or the equivalent in those other areas? That's crazy. So what I did was announce my retirement a year in advance, mm -hmm. which gave the congregation an opportunity. And I did this uh, with the with the blessing, in effect, of our general presbyter. I said, this is what I'm going to do. It's entirely too long between leaders in the Presbyterian Church. So I'm going to announce ahead of time and let the process begin immediately of um, preparation for the, next, for the next person. Now, what had happened, purely hypothetically, if you announce... Hey, you know what? I'm leaving in a year. We need to get get this figured out. I I know I'm speaking in kind of fantasy world, but what happens if the church came back and you you know two months two months later they come back and go, we found the perfect replacement for you. We're ready to go. We're ready to rock and roll. Are you just shown the door in two months, or do, do they just kind of put that person nah, on the back? Nah. How does it that? Ta it takes a long time, Chris, in the Presbyterian Church, to even get ready. Mm. to put your information in at Louisville and to begin thinking about who the next pastor will be. So why is it not successive? Why is the assistant pastor not already kind of on the bench? And to, is it they don't want to? It does it not work that why? No, it was prohibited. Why? Because, you know, as, as often happens in places like churches and in government, lots of places, because there were a very few exceptions where that was misused. A very few associate pastors who became the senior pastor, and they messed things up real badly. Mm. And it was bad for the congregation. <clears throat> but that's what we did. Katie, my associate, became the pastor. Oh, so it's forbidden, but that's ended up what you guys ended up doing at St. Barnabas. It wasn't forbidden then. The year before, the Book of Order changed, and it was possible with a two-thirds majority of the presbytery that the associate pastor could become the pastor. 
So that's, that's what happened. I had nothing to do with that. I mean, I was hands off. I had hoped that it's what maybe the congregation that's what wanted. Do. It's what the session congregation wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's what the PNC, the pastor nominating committee, okay. they, they reviewed an awful lot of um, forms. And ultimately, she's what they wanted anyway. That's awesome. Are you, a, are you still a member at St. Barnabas? I've never been a member at St. Barnabas. Oh. That's the thing about Presbyterian pastors. We can't be members of the congregation. Well, but now that you're not a or you're a retired pastor. I'm still a retired I'm still a pastor. I'm a I'm a member of Grace Presbytery. Okay, so is Tom not a member, but is Tom's butt in the seat at St. Barnabas Presbyterian Church? The answer to that is yes. Um, I was made pastor emeritus, which mm-hmm. is, you know, an honorific really. Um a made pastor emeritus with no portfolio, which means I don't have to do anything. So when I was made pastor emeritus, I went back to St. Barnabas. It had been maybe a year, year and a half that I stayed away. Is that um, just to kind of like let the new... Absolutely. They don't, you don't want people coming to you going, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, Tom, right, this, this. Right, precisely. Did, now that you've been away in a year, year and a, or you were <clears throat> gone for a year, year and a half, did you still have a little bit of that? And you, no, they just nope, knew. They don't ask. Okay. But if they did, I'm if, sure you would have just did, gone. If they did, I'd not. say, I'm sorry, I'm not your pastor anymore. Go to Katie. Yeah. And that's and they know better than that. They, I, you know, they know better than that. As, as a retired pastor, can you still officiate weddings? Yes. How many weddings have you officiated? Since I retired? No, just oh, in your God. career. Oh, I don't know, Chris. Um. I mean, rough ballpark, like a, over a hundred. Oh yeah, well over a hundred. Yeah. Um, Have you had people come to you wanting you to marry them, and you, for whatever reason, you know the circumstances or the vibe you get, and you're like, I can't, in good conscience, marry? Has that happened? No, I have. I, everyone who has um, wanted to get married after they've had the counseling. So have you done I've that done, before? Saying yes, I'd like to, but you guys need to go to. What I've said to them is. Um, this is a bad fit. Oh, wow. uh, you've Have you got said all, it that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, and your families, um, there was not a single relationship as far back as they could go, which was to great-grandparents. Par- great mm-hmm. Not a single relationship. I mean a single relationship that wasn't broken. Wow. On both sides. Wow. I said, you, so you guys... you got two damaged people coming two in. Two really damaged people who have never seen... A relationship work. A relationship work. I mean, it's one thing... Well, I mean, you've had to deal with, with divorce. Yeah. Lots of people have. But to have it go back three generations? No. I just said, you guys are, are not ready for this. You're too young. But more, you don't have a decent example of what it is to live together in a relationship over a long time. Did they go to counseling and everything and you ended up marrying or did... I went, I went ahead and married them. I just said, I'm telling you now. Did well, they end up making it work? Nope. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. Do you, have, do you have any kind of marriage insight? Like, do you get a vibe of if it's going to work or not or is it still kind of a... Certain people are like, oh yeah, that's a great couple and then they flame out. Or do you have a vibe or... Yeah, I, I have a vibe, but you know... It's kind of a vibes are. Um, it's a confirmation bias when, it. when it's when the vibes right. You're like, yep, I called that. But then if yep. it doesn't work, it, you kind of slips your mind. Type. No, no, it doesn't ever slip my mind if it doesn't work. Um, there's usually. Um, Do you so hypothetically agnostic? Chris comes to you and goes, Tom. You know what? You like I've said, you were instrumental in my faith. I'm not a you know practicing Presbyterian, but it would still mean a lot if you officiated my wedding. Do you do that, or is it got to be a, I officiate weddings if you've accepted Christ in your oh, heart? Oh, heavens. So if, if you want to officiate it, and you've, you'll do it. If I want to officiate it and the Presbytery says it's okay. Okay. I mean, that's just in writing. I want to do this for a former parishioner of mine. It's just not, not a problem at all. Have you had people ask for non... Uh, for... Uh, what a secular wedding! Like, have you had? Hey, you know what? I'm Presbyterian. My my fiance is is really agnostic. We'd like. I want you to be a part of it, 
but we got to keep the God stuff out of it. Do, has, have you had that request? And I've had that. Do you fulfill it? No. You, you just... I just, you know, the deal is, if you're asking a practicing Christian right, who right. is also a Presbyterian to do it, then I have a service that I, that I like using. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you can tweak. There are plenty of different ways to, to come across with it. Yeah. But it can't, it can't simply be a, a second. I've been at a, at a couple. One of my favorite weddings, uh, the, my friend, we were talking before we recorded about my friend Daniel. He was kind of the, the inspiration for a podcast. Me and him wanted to have the podcast together. Conservative, East Texan, good old boy. Right, right. They, uh, he's also you know, hard charge. He was a hard charging drinker, party guy, just fantastic guy. But their wedding day, he wanted to get to the reception. The ceremony was really just kind of a speed bump to get to that <laughs> celebration of us getting married. So they went to First Baptist Church in Nacogdoches. You can imagine the level of conservatism there. And they basically said, look, I want this wedding to be done in under 15 minutes. And if we haven't set our dues in 15 minutes, we're walking out whether we're married or not because I've got a reception to get to. And I'll be damned if from the first flower petals hitting the floor to them walking out husband and wife wasn't like 11 and a half minutes. And I, I was just really surprised that the Baptist preacher was like, yeah, we can, I can make that happen for you. Well, do you have do you have people who want to do like, I know like a Catholic wedding is a whole mass service and it's an hour right. and a half. It's a big thing. Do you have people like, hey, you know what? I would like a sermon. I would like a 30, 40 minute thing out of you versus my friend Daniel. Hey, I want to get it and out of there in 10, 15 minutes. Do you? Yeah. Do you tweak your wedding oh, ceremonies yeah, yeah. accordingly? Yes. Have you given 10, just... 10, 15 minutes is, is uh, pretty, pretty, not quite... It was pretty That's pretty, pretty brief. Yeah. But, but typically, between 20 and 30 minutes is not unusual. Have uh, you done a longer full-service oh, yes. wedding? Oh, yes, I have. I've done full-service weddings with communion. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine a Presbyterian wedding with communion. There is provision made. We have a service that has the communion service in it. And someone at St. Barnabas is going to get married not only with communion, but on Sunday at a worship service. Really? Yep. I didn't know that was an option. Do you have to, if I wanted you to marry me, does it have to be at the church? No. It's wherever the, where's the farthest you've traveled for a wedding? Um, Michigan, maybe. Okay. Um, is it customary? I'm. I'm not. I didn't have a whole bunch of wedding questions. They just kind of came up. No, but is it customary? You're coming to Michigan. I'm paying for your flight and your lodging and all that. Is that? That's customary. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. Mm-hmm. But that's you know that's that's pretty customary. Okay. I, I went. I did a wedding in Vail. Well, that's got to be nice. It, it was very nice, but that's when it is customary. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need you to get me married in yeah. Bali, Tom. You're yeah, on your own right. for the ticket, but <laughs> I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, yeah. It's like the destination weddings. People do that. It's a big deal. But then they... You need uh, a budget for Tom. You need a budget for whoever it is is doing the service, which is why a lot of people just go onto the internet and, you know, one of their buddies or someone becomes an ordained yeah. minister that way and, and is able to do the service. Um, I wanted to ask, the kind of coming back to what we were talking about, about Trump and not necessarily strictly Trump, but I, I guess I'll ask it one way and follow up. Did you see church attendance change after Trump? No, not really. Um, there were people who... Uh, you know, we're troubled. Um, you know, I'd with how you handled it, or just in general? No, just in general. Okay. Um, but I didn't see it, attendance drop off particularly. Um, Have you seen? Which was my my follow up? I was wondering: Are you seeing trends in church attendance in general? Are you? Is it dropping off in general? Yes. Um. 
Why do you think that is? I think there are a whole lot of reasons. Does it ebb um, and flow, or has it kind of been a steady decline? Since when? Um, since you started. Oh, since I started? Yeah. Well, at at St. Barnabas? or yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, it has declined. Um, however, that mirrors the decline in every denomination, and that includes the megachurches. Oh, that's all right, didn't you? I'm, we're going to talk about those, too. But um, that includes everyone, including the Baptists who don't keep good roles. I mean, they don't, membership roles don't mean much to them. But even in their, like... But even in their situation, it's in decline or plateaued. Um, why do you think that is? Are we becoming like a more godless society, or do you think the Internet's enabling you to be religious or to find, you know, practice your faith without going to church or spiritual without religious yeah. uh, sort of thing. Yeah. I think there's some of that, but I don't think that's unusual. Um, um, we were in an unusual time period in the fifties and sixties when your parents, for instance, were coming of age. And, mm -hmm. and when I was coming of age, um, where churches were booming there were huge numbers of people involved in church. Is that just a demographics? You had the people coming up? Some of it is demographics. Some of it was just a, a kind of a perfect storm of guys returning from, you know, in World War II, coming home, establishing families, having homes, and doing all the conventional stuff that went along with it, which included going to church. But... In American history, church has been like this. So it has ebbed and flowed. It has ebbed and flowed. Um, people wring their hands and say, oh, we're in a real bad period, you know, a lot of non-churchgoers. Eh, no, it, 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 that's happened before. Did you see a spike after 9-11? Huge. Yeah. yeah. How long did it maintain? About three weeks. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, I mean, I, there were there were more people attending church, but you know, the pews were full for a couple weeks, but membership in the church was pretty much the pretty same. Pretty much the same. Oh, okay. Pretty okay. much the same. There were there were a few members who joined um, after nine eleven, but you know that's again there's that's phenomenally typical. I mean, that's in, at moments of great you have a tragedy, crisis. Yeah, uh, you know, people, people. You want to go to a safe space. They want to go to a safe space. I think that's exactly right, Chris. Speaking of safe space, I remember, and I, if you've got other instances like this, I would love to know them. I remember one service, my mom and I often went together. Usually it wasn't the whole family barring a right. holiday. It was a kind of a thing my mom and I got to get out of the house and be together. But I know we went to a service, and I can't remember if it was the early morning or the, the 11 o'clock, but somebody had, I think, a heart attack in... In the, do you remember the... I remember it well. And I remember we were sitting kind of midway, and behind us you see him kind of keel over. And what struck me from the whole thing, and I couldn't have been nine or ten at the time, what struck me was two things. One, how quietly things... It wasn't, oh, my God, he's having... A, oh, my God, please help. It was he kind of keeled <clears> over. <throat> I think an usher, somebody came over and went, and it was all being handled. I'm pretty sure pretty quickly you saw what was going on. You didn't skip a beat. You didn't change your sermon. You didn't say, do we need to get him help? It was as if it wasn't happening in terms of watching you do your thing, your, your, your sermon your, and everything. You, you were clearly paying attention to it and keeping an eye on it, but it was all handling and it was all being handled quietly. And the firefighters that EMS shows up, they come in. They get him on the stretcher and all that. People are turning and looking some. Right. You're still up there preaching. He's wheeled, and it was the seamlessness. It was, you didn't let that derail the service. I know at some point, I don't remember when, you said, let's have a prayer for him to make sure he's right. okay. You right. didn't completely ignore it, but you did not change. It didn't stop the service. The, the party kept going, if you will. <laughs> Is that something you had dealt with before? Like, why did you do it that? Like, tell me about That's that. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I did pray for him. 
Uh, I asked everyone yeah. to pray for him. But it was um, not a let's stop my sermon and, and focus on this and well, make it, this the it thing. It happened during a hymn. Did he it? keeled over during okay. a hymn. And, and but I just remember his head laying down, so maybe that's Yeah, right. and he, he just, and he went down like a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember asking if, um, if some doctors could attend to him. And okay. that particular Sunday, there were five doctors oh, really? in the congregation, and they all went out there. So, you know, they but it I was being this, handled. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you do? Do you yeah. tell everyone, oh, let, let's go gang up and hang around him? Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing that he needed was a bunch of people gathered around him. Right. Um, anyway, that's, that's pretty much my calculus. And I feel like he, wasn't he at church? Like, I'm, like I remember him... Being back at church, I remember him. Yeah, he came back, but when he came back, he had a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair. Okay, yeah. 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 Yeah, Have have you dealt with other instances like the emergencies in there? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had to to stop a sermon for any kind of reason? Or a sermon or service, I guess. Service? Not necessarily just your sermon. I'll need to think about that. But there have been lots of emergencies that that tend to crop up. Um, and do you typically handle them just like that? Yep. You know, part of the deal is um, making people aware that it's going on, making sure that there are people within the congregation who have capabilities who can handle it, and lastly, that someone has had the presence of mind to call Nine one one, and and all of that was going on, and I could see it. They were making gestures back and forth to me, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I saw no, no reason, to slow down. Yeah. Um, You've never had an emergency in the service where you had to, to stop. Nope. Have you? Feels like more. Call it the past ten fifteen. You've had more church shootings, synagogue shootings, mosque shootings. It's typically more minority religions, but there have been church shootings. Did that? Ch- did you guys implement new <clears throat> church safety protocols, or did you kind of say if it happens, it happens? How did how did you guys deal with that? Not that I would imagine a Presbyterian church is pretty low on the extremist totem pole, but it also <laughs> can happen anywhere. So how did you yeah. guys react to that? Or did you? Well, when I was pastor, the the reaction came from people just being more aware, an intense awareness of security, particularly on the part of the ushers. Mm-hmm. Is that a was <coughs> that a conscience? If you're an usher, make sure we're paying attention to this. Yeah. Yep. It was more of a thing that we talked about of hey, make sure we're paying attention for threats. Yeah, actually, my, my first instinct, quite frankly, was to make the church um, a no-carry zone. Was it? I didn't carry it out. I didn't, I didn't bring that to session. So there could um, have been because people concealed carrying you don't know? No, there probably are. I mean, I'm sure there, there are. There probably are. Um, and, you know, frankly, to make it into a no-carry ends up compromising members who enjoy carrying guns around. I'm not going to get into a gun debate with someone about it. Right. It, unless it's a one-on-one. There is one parishioner I have I have had a lot of debate with about. Now that. I assume open carry you would put a squash to? Yes. It's just at that point it's not a welcoming safe no. space. No, it's not. Yeah. Did you ever have to have that talk verbatim with somebody? No, oh, no okay. one has no one has done open carry. Um if you did, I assume you'd say, can you conceal that? If not, take it out? Yep. Yeah. i just, you know, very frankly say, would you please take, take the gun off and leave it in the foyer? Or you can listen to it from outside. You can listen to the service from outside. Yeah. Don't, bro- don't bring it in here. Um, yeah, that's a, it's, it's a weird world. Um, but I, I'm, I was uh, actually puzzled by the response. You know, the great hero who managed to shoot the shooter oh, over in that, Fort Worth. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, he did react, and they had been, they'd been schooled in how to do that. But there's something wrong there. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. I, well, I can't deal with that. We're not going to get into a huge gun debate, but one of the things I have to keep, I, I, I own guns. I'm, I'm, I'm not against them, but I'm, I feel like I'm pretty rational about it, I, I would like to imagine. And one of the things was, of course, on social media, you see all these, oh, yeah, see, guns. Mm-hmm. said, good guys with a gun saved it. I was like, yeah, but two people still died right. before the good guys with guns did their right. thing. Like, it's, it's still a big, giant loss, just a smaller, giant loss. And, and people seem to lose sight of that to push their own narrative one way or the other. Well, and, and in all frankness, those people, as I say, were trained in that specific situation for what might happen. Right. But even with the best of training, people lose it mm-hmm. when things start hopping. You had that uh, the sheriff deputy in Florida. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's trustworthy at all, and the whole idea of teachers packing weapons. Yeah, or being in the St. Barnabas in the, it's not a cathedral, help me out here. Sanctuary. 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 Yeah, yeah. I, it, just being it, caught in the crossfire of all that, I I think I, I stand a better chance with one gun in the room than four of them. Yeah, you and me. You but, and me. But that's me. Um, I, we're, wow, we're already pushing two hours. I've, I've got a couple more things I could keep talking shoot, to forever. Shoot, Um You mentioned mega churches. I... <laughs> I, I, part of me wants to just ask you the dumb, broad question, what are your thoughts on them? But it's, what are your, I guess we will go with the, the broad question at first. What are your thoughts on them? You've got some of the biggest megachurches in the world here in the Dallas area. Right. Do you, do you have strong opinions of them? Or it just, it feels kind of hard to get, Again, I always come back to what I got, what I took away from St. Barnabas and your church, where the congregation was what, two, three hundred? Well, I don't know what it is now. It was, when I left, it was about 400. Okay. And regular but attendance was 100, 150? 100, yeah, 150, 175. Yeah. yeah. And you got a personal relationship with you. You and I are talking today, who I would talk to you after every service. You shake your hand, you talk a little bit. There was a relationship with our pastor. If I'm going to church in a basketball arena, how do you build that community? How do you have that relationship with the pastor or pastor? Like, it, it feels like what you would hope to take away from a church is a lot harder to establish and maintain there. Is that fair? Um, or is there, are there benefits to it that I'm just completely unaware there, of? There are benefits. Um, the... the <laughs> not the least of which is the briefness of the service. People want to come in, get a hit, and then leave. Right. What what the good megachurch? Well, that's that's bad to even use that phrase. The megachurches that are well run, okay, have a very very lively small group um, ministry going on, and it's. It's put together, it's structured in such a way that everyone is part of a small group. And that small group becomes, in effect, the intimacy, the, the community, the church um, for, for those people. So instead of one or two pastors, it might be five or six, and they're, you're dividing up the congregation, so oh, everybody's yeah. getting that relationship with somebody? Sort of. Um, sort of. I, the pastors don't, aren't engaged in the small groups most uh, of the time. On the other hand, there's the Potter's House, you know, in South Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are 50 pastors on staff there. Oh, my gosh. So I think they are much more hands-on and, and, and active within their, their group settings. But it's the small groups that bring that intimacy and that community, um, you know, in the megachurches. So it's not... Um, it's not what it does is recognize people arrive at church with different needs. Um, For a lot of people, it's to be part of something without having to deal with people. Mega church is perfect for that. (laughs) I never thought about it that way. That's true, Um, though. They they 
They can come in, they can leave, and they're anonymous. They don't want to be small group. But the, the other side is that most megachurches have a small group ministry that is very powerful and important. Um, and a watermark comes to mind. I don't know whether you know that church. I, it kind of um, got built up after I had left Dallas. Yeah. I'd seen it. Grow. It's over there off uh, 635. 635. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, that is one such megachurch. And they have a they have a very powerful small group um, ministry that goes on, and th- those people become carers to one another. I think about, and I'm not asking you to talk shit on this particular, but I think about Preston Baptist. That when people think about mega churches, that's almost one of the first one or the, like it's one people tend to think about when they think about mega churches. That giant sixteen thousand foot cathedral to God. I think we used to call it Six Flags Over Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think about a church that size and the amount of money that has to go into an operation like that, and I think about Jesus and the money changers and the the teachings of Jesus, and it just, right out the gate, it feels kind of antithetical to a lot of Christian teachings regarding money and coveting and, and all of that. And I feel like that's something they've got to uh, to address before they can. Like, how did is that a is that a criticism in the theological world? Um, oh yeah. And what's their? I'm not asking you to to you know lobby one way or the other for press, but what is their argument in response to that? Of Jesus was a poor man who talked about you know shunning the the excesses. Well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I certainly agree with you. Mm-hmm. On a theological level, I agree with you. Um, I, I don't know how, uh, how Jack, Jack Graham does what he does, but he does. And, um, or the guy down in Houston who is probably even more trenchant an example. Austin? Yeah. I was gonna. I actually just um, jotted that down. Yeah, he. Um, that's the gospel of prosperity, man. That, and that's just bullshit. God wants you to be rich. And that's but by letting <laughs> you bullshit. see me being rich. Does do people like that? And you don't have to use this word. I'm going to use a word. I, charlatanism is what comes to mind a lot of the time. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but when you see folks like not. We're going to focus on Austin because I think Austin Austin's an asshole for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> but when you see somebody doing something that runs so counter to the way you were taught and do stuff and ran your church, does it not offend you or or bother you? Sure, it bothers me. And that's it. I mean, I understand. What are you going to do about it? But yeah, and and um, I as to whether he's a charlatan or not, I can't judge that. I really can't. Yeah. I think he probably believes what he's saying. Well, I think Bin Laden believed what he was saying too. Uh, well, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to equate Joel Austin with Osama bin Laden, yeah, but. Yeah. Well, it is interesting that um, I, I have a... Joel Osteen's father um, had, was the pastor of Lakewood Baptist Church mm-hmm. in North... It was North Houston. And when I arrived there as a new church development pastor, he was, he was very uh, cordial and inviting. And, um, you know, I... I Felt good about him. Had nothing but good things to say about him. But again, you know, Joel has taken this to a different level. You know, the Toyota Arena and, yeah, and stuff like that. He's taken it to a different level. But Joel knows he was the guy who, behind the cameras at his dad's church. He knew he knew how to do media. Yeah. And I think he's that's what he's done. Which 
when you talk about media, does St. Barnabas, it's again, when I left, it, the internet was not what it is today. Right. Are you guys putting all your sermons and video up on your website every day or every week? Mm-hmm. I assume you can see the statistics of that. What is the the take rate? Like, do you have, let's say, this, when I went to church, it was 175. Let's say, hypothetically, it's down to 125. Are you seeing a percentage of that 50 that's dropped off? Watching those videos online, is there that outreach? Are you seeing any take on that? Or actually, the hits that well, this is this goes back a ways. Um, The hits have been relatively small, I'm sure, but they've almost all been outsiders, really, not not church members. Interesting, or people who went to the service and was like, you know what, I want to catch that thing that he said. Interesting, Yeah. yeah, interesting. So you know, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it's probably. You know, with more hits, we could probably see other kinds of trends. But um, do you study? Did you study those kind? Of, that kind of st- those statistics, those metrics? It's weird to think about quantifying church in in metrics like that. But did you see that? Did did you go out of your way to look at those numbers and that? Data? Yeah, I don't. I'm not a statistics guy, right. so. Um, but I was very interested in finding out, you know, is it relevant for us to keep doing this? Is the amount of work that goes into it worth... The cost, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the cost is... it's uh, Not that bad? Oh, okay. We, had, we have a hoster who is... Um, so far, it's free. Or at least oh, it was nice. when I was there. Okay. Um and one of the members of the congregation just ha- takes an iPad and oh, and does enough. it. Okay. Yeah. And we have a camera that's multi-directional at the back. Yeah. So there's initial outlay, but not, not, it's really not much. So speaking a little bit about the economics of running a church, how hands-on as the senior pastor are you the church manager? Or is that somebody else? Is that the, the, I know. I think the church has a treasurer, doesn't it? We have we have. There were three of them, and yeah. there are now four of them at Saint Barnabas. Is the actual operations of a church? Is that more handled by the congregation and the the session and the those people? Ideally, yeah. how much of it? How much are you hands on managing a church and looking at budgets and all that? Like, how where's your responsibility on all that? Oh, I, I always look at the budgets. I go to all the stewardship committee meetings. But are the stewardship, are they the ones kind of preparing the budgets and it's your job to kind of keep yes, in that? Yes, they do, they do the preparation, and then I say, no, this is not worth it. This, you know, we've got to make some changes here. Okay. Uh, but I don't create the budget. But you're the not like, created okay, and you're, but else. you're also not like the church manager per se. You're not necessarily hiring the lawn crew that comes oh, out. Oh, heavens and, no. Okay. No. I didn't know how hands-on no, or off. trustees are handling all that Okay. Stuff. Well, that's got to um, make your life a lot easier. Well, it does. Um, but, you know, quite quite frankly, in a, a multi-staff church, someone, all kinds of stuff has to be farmed out. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like in Philadelphia, and that church was, you know... At the time I went there, it was about 400 members. Um, and I had to do everything. I mean, it really, really, apart from building and grounds, that was handled by, by members of the church. But you know, depended on who was the stewardship elder and whether or not they actually did anything with budgets. Yeah, that's interesting. I just... As a kid, you just always assumed, oh, he's the pastor. He's in charge of, he's at the top of the pyramid. He runs it all. He's uh, the church CEO, if you will. Well, in a sense, that's true. Um, but you're dictating a lot of those responses. Or dicta- uh, other people do those do yeah. those things. So, you know, and, and even more so, and here's the deal, when you were talking about the high-touch sort of thing that you get in a church that's where a pastor can know everybody. Mm-hmm. And how that doesn't exist in the megachurches, that is literally a corporate church. That's, that's the words, those are the words that need to be used for them. 
because they are a size of a corporation. Yeah. And so the CEO does not have hands-on with virtually anything. But he makes sure, or she makes sure, all of these all of these things happen. Join us for the next episode where Tom and I pick up right where we left off. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at It Never Hurts to Ask. And you can listen to It Never Hurts to Ask on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.